Good evening. Good to see you all back on this beautiful Sunday evening. Not a lot of churches have Sunday evening services anymore. Uh, down in our area, it is rare to see lights on at a church on a Sunday evening. In fact, most of them barely have church on Sunday morning, uh, though try as they may. And so uh, it's good to be back here this evening with you. It's uh, been a good day. Sherry has went on back home. Uh, she is, uh, She has to work five days a week and to support me in my retirement. And uh, I, I let her off the chain, told her she'd go on back home and be sure and have me something to eat when I get home later on this evening. I want to go back to the Old Testament just briefly and to, to read a verse that I, I know most of you are familiar with. Um, where'd Perry go? There he is. I know, you, I know you're going to know this verse. It's in Second Chronicles. You know where I'm going? Chapter 7 and verse 14. This is what the Bible says. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive them, uh, forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Now that's a recipe for revival that would work in any church, at any place, and at any time. If God's people, because that's where revival starts. Revival doesn't start out here in the honky-tonk tavern somewhere or, or in the gutter streets of Louisville. Revival starts in the hearts of God's people. And it's not worked up. It's not a big emotion. It's not about that. It's, it's not something that gets worked up in God's people. It's something that is prayed down from heaven. That's what revival is. And God's word tells us if we'll pray and seek his face, humble ourselves, repent from our sin, then revival will come. It has to come. It, it can't help but to come. And God wants to see revival uh, I believe in these latter days, he wants to see revival. I know that we're all looking for Jesus to come back. And I know that we all can see that the world is just swirling uh, down into the uh, cesspool of, of, of sin and lostness. But we still have to pray for revival. You got to have revival. And, and if I was to talk to any younger preacher, if anybody was to ask me, you know, what, what do I need to be doing? What's, what do I need to focus on in ministry? You need to have two revivals every year and you need to have a vacation Bible school. And if you can't do that, you might as well call it a social club and take Baptist off the front wall and just, you know, let everybody do what they want to do because it doesn't matter anyway. We need to have revival. And I believe that God wants to send revival, but there's some things that we need to do in order for revival to come. And I believe that revival, if it's going to come, has to be saturated with prayer. And I know that this is a praying church. I've been prayed for from this church. I remember going and attending this church, and we had prayer meetings on Sunday morning, early in the morning. We had prayer meetings on Saturday night, late at night. They had prayer meetings on Wednesday. And uh, people pray not only for one another, but I know this church and others that, uh, that we've been involved with, we pray for each other. We've got a prayer group, uh, just a men's group down in Mount Moriah, where uh, uh, we're all on the uh, 
I got my phone lifted out in the truck so I wouldn't be fidgeting with it. I don't want to be tempted to look for the Super Bowl scores or anything like that. <laughs> Though I don't know anything about a Super Bowl. I don't even know who's playing or, or any of that. And if I catch any of y'all looking at your cell phones at the Super Bowl, I'm going to preach real long tonight. <laughs> so don't worry about the Super Bowl. Worry about revival in the church. We need to be people of prayer. We need to teach prayer to our children we need, to, we need to focus on our prayer life. And so now I want to move to Mark chapter 1. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 29 and kind of set the context for what's going on early in Jesus' ministry. He's all, Mark takes it up. He doesn't go back to the birth uh, or the nativity. Mark pretty much takes oath in, in his gospel with Jesus' baptism. That's pretty much where he kind of gets his gospel going. And he covers Jesus being tempted by the devil in 40 days up in the mountains after his baptism. And so he begins his ministry in uh, Galilee. And he begins to call fishermen to be his disciples. And uh, one of the sermons that I still have that Bonnie remembers was the net. And uh, Jesus taught us not to fish with a hook and a line. We need to be net fishers. And uh, that's where he sees these men cleaning their nets and mending their nets and casting their nets. And uh, I, I'm, I'm impressed that you remembered that sermon from years ago. We move on into uh, Jesus beginning to cast out devils and healing. His ministry dealt a lot with casting out unclean spirits and casting demons out. And he also dealt with healing. He, he, he healed if if you came and, and uh, seek healing from Jesus, Jesus was a healer. He he was God. I mean, he is God, and he heals people. And another thing that we notice when we read the gospel accounts of Christ, uh, whenever he come up on a funeral, he busted that party up too. If he come up and there was somebody that was dead and people grieving, he'd raise them from the dead. You don't see faith healers today doing that, or I don't. As a lot of people claim to be faith healers today. I believe in healing. I have faith. I believe God does heal. But I'm a little bit wary about some of these so-called faith healers that are out here wanting you to send them a hundred dollars so that God can send you a couple thousand. You know, that's kind of the way it works with the faith healers. You ever get one of those letters in the mail? You send me a hundred dollars and God's going to bless you. And I sent in a hundred dollars and I went to my mailbox and there was a check for $5,600 in my mailbox. I always reply by sending back a little letter to them in the, in the stamp, a pre-stamped envelope, postage paid already. And I say, you send me a hundred and you keep the 56 and we'll both be happy. <laughs> That's the way I deal with that. Now, Jesus begins his healing ministry, as Luke records it, and he begins here in verse 29. And I'll ask you once again, if, you, or if you're able to, would you join me and, and we'll stand as we honor God in the reading of his word. The Bible says, and forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now, there's those four fishermen that, that he began to call his, his disciples. But Simon's wife's mother, now Simon being Peter, Simon Peter's wife's mother laying sick of a fever, and anon they tell him of her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately 
the fever left her, and she ministered unto them. And at evening, when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils. And all the city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many that were sick of diverse diseases and cast out many devils and suffered not the devils to speak because they knew him. And then we go to verse 35. There's a, it's a new paragraph that begins here. And this one verse is the one we want to focus on tonight. It says, And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he, that's Jesus, went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. And Simon and they that were with him followed after him. And when they had found him, they said unto him, All men seek for thee. And he said unto them, Let us go into the next town that I might preach there also for therefore came I forth and he preached in their synagogues throughout all of Galilee and he cast out devils. Let's pray. God thank you for your word once again and I I just uh, am amazed Father every time I open it how you speak to me and uh, help me, Lord, to be able to speak to others by just reading your word. And Father, I don't have to dream up a message. I don't have to drum it up or think about something to go along with today's events. I just read your word and tell people what the Bible says. And Father, you work through that. You, your Holy Spirit takes the, the gospel and plants it deep in the hearts. And, and uh, someone will come along and water and then a harvest will come. And Father, I pray today, once again, that you will once again uh, honor your word and bring glory to yourself by saving people by the hearing of the gospel. Grow their faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all and be seated. I have come to the conclusion, and I'm, I'm not, the, I'm not, I'm not uh, all that old, but I'm, I'm a lot older than I used to be. Uh, but as I continue to go through life, and especially now that our kids are grown and have their own families, and they're raising their children, and a big a big part of my life, uh, in my especially in my retirement, is my grandchildren. And uh, I like to see grandchildren pray. I like to see their parents teach them to pray. I like to hear the prayers of children because of child prays to God, man, that's an honest, that's an honest prayer because they just pray what's on their heart. And that's why we should pray. We, we should remember the lessons that we've learned from the time that we were little children learning to say, uh, now I lay me down to sleep. Uh, and that's a child's prayer. But you know, I hear children today, they don't necessarily pray those repeating prayers. They just talk to God. I don't know, that might be a sign of the times that, that, that God is even closer to coming back to this planet. Uh, but children, they reach out and they get a hold of God. And, and if you want somebody to pray for you, ask a child to pray for you. Number one, they won't forget to pray for you. It's important to them to pray for those that, 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 that they love and that they want. And I, I tell you what, when, when I hear a child pray for someone that's lost, Pray for someone that is sick. I believe God hears and honors the prayers of children. Now they may not have reached the age of accountability yet. And they may not be what we call saved, baptized believers. But they're safe in the hands of God. 
until they do reach that time. I don't believe that God would send an innocent child to hell. I just, I, I, I just don't accept that. And I don't believe that God would, would bring judgment on innocent children that are seeking his face. And, and as, they, as we train children up and as we teach them the, uh, the lessons of the Bible and especially the Old Testament characters and, and teach them about the New Testament and Jesus and the disciples and the church and the, and the early growth of the church, I believe it should not come as a surprise that we see young children turning to Christ and coming uh, to uh, salvation. And uh, as they come early, they may... Uh, Maybe times where they stumble and when they fall, but we all have that problem, don't we? What we need to be is focusing on prayer. If it was that important for the Son of God to get up early in the morning and to spend time alone with his heavenly Father and to pray to his Father, I think it ought to be important to us tonight. Churches get in trouble when they forget about praying. Churches get in trouble when they begin to focus on other things and try to look enough like the world so that the, we can that we can sucker the world and trick, trick the world into coming to Jesus. That's not a plan. That's that's not a strategy, and that's not something I think the Christian uh, churches ought to be involved in. Hey, well, we want to go down here and and you know drag out the cappuccino cafes once again and. And we want to change the music to where it's the young people. It's what they that's what they want to hear, and and all of that. That's just a bunch of fooey. And I think the devil has tried to trick some people, uh, good-hearted, good, you know, well-intentioned people in ministry uh, to look more like the world. And what happens if you try to look more like the world? You start looking less like Jesus, and that defeats the whole purpose of being a New Testament. Christian church. So let's look at this verse 35 for just a moment. And let's just see, uh, take a lesson. If you want to find a, 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 a person in the Bible, and there's plenty of good uh, uh, godly people in the Bible that we can learn from and, and take lesson from, but you'll do no better than Jesus if you're looking for an example in the Bible. Jesus is, is, uh, is the best example you're going to find. Look at verse 35 once again, and let's just focus on that verse uh, to see how important prayer was to him. And in the morning, early in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place, and there he prayed. The first thing that I want you to understand or see in this, in this little verse, in this micro sermon that, that I'm going to preach to you tonight is we need to have a priority of prayer in our lives. Prayer does not need to be something that we do, number one, when we get in trouble. <clears throat> God's not some big vending machine up in the sky where, where you get in a little trouble, you think, well, I'll just go put a prayer in and God will take care of it and I won't have to worry about it. That's not the right attitude to approach God in prayer. Those are the kind of prayers that don't get past the drywall. And it's not that, 
God can't hear and that God doesn't hear. But if you go back into the Old Testament, you'll find that there's a passage, I believe it's in Isaiah 59 and verse 2. And God says that he doesn't honor prayer when there's sin in our lives because it builds like a big block wall between us and him. We've, we've put enmity between us and God. And when we try to pray and our heart's not right with God, he doesn't honor that. Now, he can do whatever he wants to do because he's God. And, and he may choose to answer a prayer that doesn't need to be answered, but we never know the big picture. God knows the big picture, and it's his world, and, and it's his, uh, his thing to do. It's, it's God's uh, prerogative. I, I had to think of a big word there. It's God's prerogative as to how and when and and what he answers in prayer. But I will tell you this, God always answers prayer. If we're praying sincerely and if we are, if we are in the right uh, stance and we're praying in God's will, as the Bible teaches us in uh, John chapter 15, if we're praying according to his will, God will answer that prayer, but he will not always say yes. Isn't that right? Sometimes... God says no, just as any father would to his children. How many of y'all have children or grandchildren or you got young ones that are dependent upon you? Do you say yes every time they ask you for something? You don't do that. I, I don't. Sometimes my, my boy and me, we used to hunt together when he was younger. We, we hunted a farm in Brackenridge County for over 30 years. I hunted out of the same tree for 30 years. I found a tree that worked, and the next year I kept going back to that same tree. Had my tree stand there, and uh, that's where I got my deers every year. Some years I got one, some years I got a couple. One year I got three, but don't tell anybody. <laughs> it wasn't supposed to back in those days, but I liked deer meat, and my family liked it, and, and I got three. Some gay warden probably watching this on Facebook will come talk to me later on tonight. <laughs> but at any rate, we drove to Brackenridge County, and it's a little bit of a drive, and we'd leave Shepherdsville. We'd go across Highway 44 over to Dixie Highway, and we'd go down Dixie Highway till we got to Tip Top, and then we'd turn right, and that's Highway 60, and it takes you all the way down to Hardensburg and Harned, and that's south of Harned, or yeah, south of Harned was where we hunted on a farm. And about halfway down Highway 60, or about halfway on the trip, not on this end of Highway 60, there was a little convenience store that sold gas and cigarettes and candy bars and knickknacks like that, just a small store. And if we were going down or if we were coming back, usually coming back, Wesley would be sitting over there in the right hand, I'm driving along, and he'd say, you know a a candy bar and a big red would be pretty good about right now. And what he's doing is he's kind of kind of hinting to me that he'd like to stop and for me to buy a couple of big reds and a couple of candy bars. Well, I'm I'm fond of big reds and candy bars myself. And uh for him to ask if we could stop at that little gas station, that was something that I would usually say yes to be very rare that I would say no to his request to stop that little store because I kind of wanted to stop there too. 
And you might say that it was in my will to stop there at that store and get a big red and a candy bar. Well, I usually said yes to that request. But if we're driving down Highway 60 and coming back to Shepherdsville, and Wes was say to me, let's get on 65 and drive down to Florida and spend a couple days down there. If he, he never did ask that, but if he were, you know, go along with me here for a minute. That wouldn't be in my will. That wouldn't be something that I would think uh, that we would need to do. And so I would have had to say, no, Wes, we can't go to Florida this evening. I've got to go to work tomorrow. And uh, that's the way it is with God. Sometimes we ask for things. And it's, it's, not, it's not what he's got in mind. It's not part of his will. And we can't see the big picture that God can see because he stands outside of time and space and, and all of creation and he knows things that we don't know and we'll never know everything that God does. If we did everything God did, we'd be gods and that's not, that doesn't work. So when we ask God a question or a prayer or we bring a a petition to him if it's in accordance to his will and that's why Jesus says in the model prayer we are to pray this way thou will be done that's the first part of our prayer to God we're coming to you tonight and we're we're asking this petition we're we're lifting up a brother or a sister and and we've got a, a, a great need of prayer here And these people have requested prayer, and so we're lifting them up to you, and we ask for a benefit, most likely. Heal this person. Bring healing to this person. Bring peace into their lives. And sometimes, that's most of the times, that would be in God's will. But there are some times that we're going to ask for things, and I can give you another example of this, where we will pray, and it's not God's will. One of my best, dearest friends, when I first left out of here in 2001, I went to Eastview and spent four or five years down there. And since God called, and that was a bivocational situation, bivocational church, sweet little church, still down there today. And I sensed God beginning to move me into full-time ministry, which was going to require that I left the job that I had, which was a very good well-paying job, and uh, we had to learn how to live on a whole lot less money. But let me tell you something. You can live on a whole lot less money. If God's in it, if it's God's will, he'll take care of you. I have never reached back here and not been able to get a dollar out of my pocket. And every need we've ever had, God met, and he's provided for us, and he always will. That's, That's the God we serve. But when we left Buff, or excuse me, we left Eastview, and we got called to a church in Buffalo, Kentucky, and it was a full-time church that had forgotten how to pray. And we had one man there in that church. Uh, he's probably uh, God used him. He's probably the biggest reason I eventually went to that church. His name was Mike Oveson. Back before he passed away, he was the Kentucky State Director of the Kentucky Pork Producers Association. And you'd always see him around the Kentucky State Fair. You remember they sell the hams for thousands and millions of dollars. He was always involved in that. 
good Christian man, a veteran of the Vietnam War. But Mike, actually, uh, he was in, in, in the setting where they had uh, uh, the poison, where they tried to kill the foliage, well, Agent Orange. So he had Agent Orange all in his body. Mike raised up very rural, the way that a lot of us were, and Mike smoked cigarettes. I used to smoke three packs a day. <laughs> Jeff and Teresa first come to this church, me and Sherry took them out. She smoked about two packs a day. And we took them out, and we thought, well, now we won't smoke in front of them, but I don't think <laughs> we smelled like ashtrays. and <laughs> I smelled like a 50-gallon barrel of cigarette butts. And we thought we were fooling somebody. But anyway, I don't condemn people for smoking cigarettes, but I will tell you, and I can show you if you want, want me to show you, uh, get me with me sometime. And I'll show you in the first book of the Bible where it's really not wise for us to take things like that into our body because they, they begin to have dominion over us. And, and uh, as I became a heavy smoker, I smoked not because I wanted to, I smoked because I had to. I was addicted to it uh, in more than one way. You know, the habit, uh, the endorphins, when you take a puff of smoke into your lungs, it, it does something to your brain and you just feel good. But it's, a, it's, a, it's killing you is what it's doing. And you know, some people still smoke today. I don't think near as many as, as used to. But uh, Mike was a smoker. He smoked until the day he died. I went to see him probably in the last week of his life, was up there one day, and he had his ashtray sitting out there on the front porch, and he lighted up a cigarette. He said, the doctor said I ought to quit, but he said, I'm going to be in heaven in three or four days. And he said, I like, I, you know, what, what good is it going to do me to quit? Some Jehovah Witnesses came to visit him and tried to teach him some of their doctrines, and, and uh, they didn't stay long because he told them, he said, uh, they got to tell him about the new heaven and the new earth as they understand it. He said, I, he said I'm going to heaven when I die. He said, I'm going to be there in two or three days. But we prayed for Mike to be healed. We asked for God to heal Mike. And we prayed long and we prayed hard, but yet Mike died of cancer or, or the side effects of cancer and Agent Orange and all of that in his body. Now, what I didn't know at the time was God had already extended his life and already answered prayer. But it was now time for Mike to go to heaven. It was time for Mike to go home. What I found out was that he was a tank operator in the Vietnam War. Uh, I think he was a sergeant. He had purple hearts all kinds of medals and, and glass cases at his home. And he was a well, heavy decorated soldier. But there was a battle at some point in time to where he ended up laying in a foxhole and he pulled dead people and covered himself up with those dead people and their blood. And he laid there like he was dead. And when the Viet Cong came through and was stabbing everybody else that was moaning and groaning, they thought Mike was already dead. And so he really probably should have died at that point, but God was merciful to him. 
and give him another 40 years of life after that. Now, we didn't know that. I didn't find that out until his son shared with, uh, with everybody on the day of his, uh, during his funeral. But, you, you know, I know it's morbid to think of, but that was one of the best funerals we ever had was when Mike went home to heaven and everybody shared and uh, uh, he, he was, I guess, at that, at that time, I would, I would have referred to him as my best friend, especially concerning the ministry. And I have other friends, but uh, lifelong friends. But Mike was really special and he was close to me. But it wasn't God's will for Mike to be healed. It was God's will for Mike to go home to heaven and to see his father. His father died when he was a little boy. And he told a lot of us, he said, I had a lot of, he said, I lost my father when I was young, but I had a lot of other fathers that helped me along the way. Just a great testimony and a great situation. So prayer should be a priority in our life. And whether or not we know all the circumstances, that's left up to God. We still are called to be people of prayer. And that's what we need to be doing. If this church continues to be a praying church and other churches begin to see the, uh, the importance and the priority of prayer, then there are some things that can change in this world today. And beginning in our own little circles, and it can spread out in concentrical circles throughout the world. And so let's remember how, how important it is to pray. I don't know when you pray. I, I know when my dad prayed the minute he got up at 5 a.m. every morning before he went to work. He prayed over ever. I never saw my dad put anything in his mouth that he didn't ask a blessing for. And at night before he went to bed, he got on his knees beside his bed and he prayed for many things, not the least of which was me. And so prayer is important and we should remember that. Did you notice also that Jesus had a particular place for prayer? I think we should have a place for prayer as, as, as much as is possible. I know sometimes we travel, but when we are in our normal daily routines, our, our, our work, whatever we're doing, there should be a place in your home that is special, a place where you can get along with God. Now, I've got my own place. It's my room in, in our home. I've got a place where I get up every morning, and I like to pray in the morning early. When I have trouble in my life, it's usually because I got in a big hurry and forgot to talk to God. But I find that when I talk to God and spend time with Him and try not to be so rushed and in a hurry, my prayer life becomes more important to me. And the more that I pray, practice that the easier it is to keep up that habit of praying and and having a place of prayer when I pastored Buffalo uh, they were there were challenges there but I had a study in not in the actually the original church building that church was uh, established back in the 1800s and uh building had burned down or something and they'd replaced different buildings but they had a new fellowship hall and they made a study for the pastor and, and a nice place for a library and uh, that was where I started my day every day when I was pastoring down in Buffalo and I had a door to to the study 
The secretary was across the hall. She had a door on, on her office area there. And there was a main glass entry door where people could come and go and enter the building. But I found that if I really wanted to be serious about my prayer life, I needed to close the door and lock it. I had one deacon that would like to come down there and go through the mail. And, you know, if I had something on my desk, he's going to pick it up and read it. I thought about one day putting a letter out there and, and putting confidential on it. And inside, just put a piece of paper. When he opened it up, say, uh, uh, caught you, Royce. <laughs> but, but I never did do it. I respected him. But uh, he was the nosiest person that, that ever was. And he always wanted to, if we went on visit, we got to where we didn't want to take him visitation because he'd go in people's kitchen and start going through their mail. <laughs> that don't work real good for Monday night visitation, Brother Jim, let me tell you. You don't want to go in people's house and start looking at their bills and their mail. But be that as it may, my place of prayer was not only inside the study. In the back corner of the study, the pastor had his own restroom there. And I'd go in there and lock that door and make sure I didn't have my cell phone or anything with me. And I could spend 30 minutes locked up in that bathroom inside the study and nobody would bother me. Eventually, I think some of them caught on that that was a time in the morning that that I really didn't want to be bothered with all of the challenges that come in day-to-day ministry. It's not that I had uh, animosity towards anybody. It wasn't that I didn't want to be bothered. I just didn't want to be bothered then. Because if you're pastoring or if you're you're just a lay worker, it doesn't matter where you are and what your station is in life. You need to have a place where you can get along with God and take your Bible and your prayer journal if you keep one, but you need to spend time alone with God. And he speaks to me predominantly through here, and I would speak to him in prayer. That is important in your life. And if you're going to be a praying church, your your membership is going to have to be praying too. But always remember, God's not just somebody that you can approach haphazardly. You know, I said some people only pray when they get in trouble. Some people only pray when they have a, a need. God doesn't desire that. That's, that's not the relationship that he wants. God wants a relationship uh, with you, and, and this is the best example that I can give. He wants a relationship like I have with my children. I want to talk to my children. I want to know what's going on in their lives today. I want to know what, what are they facing? What's, what's going on? I want to know how they're doing. How are you getting along? My grandchildren, I like to, spend, I like to talk to my grandchildren. We text a lot and sometimes we call on the phone. But the, the younger generation, if you want to contact my oldest granddaughter, you might as well send her a text. Because that's the way she's going to respond to you. She's going to read that and then she'll respond. You can call her and leave a message. And three days later, she still won't return a call. But you send her a text, it comes back like that. But this is the, this is the way that, that younger people like to communicate. But I want to know how she's going in school. I want to know, I want to know how, how's your grades. She likes to come over and work for me and Sherry because she likes to make a couple dollars. She likes to get a little spending money. And she's still pretty young. She's only 15. 
but we like to talk to each other. And, uh, I, you know, it, it tickles me. Instead of saying love you, they, they can send a little red heart, which means I love you. And she'll send me a couple of them little red hearts. But this is the kind of relationship that, that I like to have with my children. And I'm telling you, this is the kind of relationship that God wants with each one of us, each one of you. He wants to talk to you. He wants to know what's on your heart. He already knows, but he wants you to crawl up in his lap and cry, Abba, Father, which is that term that that means daddy. He wants that relationship with you. So carve out a place and a time in your lives for prayer. Some people, that time is in the evening. Some people, it's in the middle of the day. It doesn't matter. But it matters that you have something. You got to start somewhere. And so I want to encourage you tonight, wherever you are in life, if you're not spending at least 10 or 15 minutes alone with God, undisturbed, try that tomorrow. Just pick a time and spend 10 minutes alone with God and then read, read, a, read a chapter in the Bible. What, what do I need to read? You read any of it, you'll be fine. It's all good, and it's all important. If it wasn't important, he wouldn't have put it in there. So spend time with God and make it a priority in your life and have a place and a time for prayer. And then the last thing I want you to notice about Jesus, he was passionate about prayer. Passionate about prayer. You know, he he didn't just zing out one of those, uh, uh, lead God and direct us, Lord, and blah, 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 and amen. Those kind of prayers seem a little bit, I don't know, not important. And it it doesn't look like we have a passion for prayer. But man, when you get on your knees and you get on your face before God and you begin to pour out your heart to him and you show, uh, you you just let the passion that is within you, not only the passion that you have in your relationship with Christ, but the passion that you have for other people. I find a lot of my prayer life is praying for others. God has blessed me for almost 70 years. I don't have a whole lot of uh, complaining. or I, I'm a pretty happy guy. I, I've got a family. i got a wife that loves me and I love her. i got children that uh, we've, had, we've had our challenges there. But thank God we've got past them. And, and we're... We're, we're just taking one day at a time. I may go to bed tonight and not wake up in the morning. That's all right. I've got as many people over there as I do over here. And so I'm ready to go. And I'm not upset and I'm not afraid of dying. I'm concerned about those that are left behind. Because I know a lot of people don't have the relationship with Jesus that we should have, that I have, that most of you have. Uh, We've got family members that don't have that relationship. We need to be praying for them. We need to be praying for the leaders that we have here in our local community. We need to be praying for our state leaders, our national leaders. The Bible tells us to pray for those who are... are, uh, uh, in the higher offices and, and the overseers and the, and the governors and stuff, we're supposed to pray for them. And I don't, I don't think 
that it would hurt for Christian people today, even though we know that there's some leadership issues and things that need to be dealt with, and that needs to take place in the ballot box, we still need to pray for people. Pray for our leaders. Pray for one another. But be passionate about your prayer. You know, when Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, his passion and, and, and the, the suffering that he was actually going through at that time, the Bible says it was sweat mixed with blood that dripped from his head. That's passion. We need to be people of prayer. And in no better time and no better place than right now and right here to exercise the freedom that we have in our relationship with God and to spend time and pray. And so we're going to have an altar call tonight, old-fashioned altar call. It doesn't have to go on all night. It'll go on as long as God allows. But when we give the invitation today, this evening, tonight, I'm going to ask you a very personal question right now. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you have a relationship, not religion, relationship? And would you like to talk to him tonight? Now, you can sit right where you are and talk to God. That's okay if that's what you choose to do. But there's a reason why they put altars in the front of a church. That's to come and to lay your burdens down and to lift up your petitions and your praise to God. I like to start when I pray by just worshiping God. God, I just adore you. God, I am so glad that you chose to save me. And just thank God. I think a prayer that starts with thanksgiving is a prayer that's on its way to to really making an impact. And then we need to be respectful of God. Not our will, God. Not my will. But your will be done. And I don't always know what God's will is. I understand what his will is in some things. But I didn't know that God had already spared Mike's life in Vietnam and that that was probably where he should have died and most, most likely would have. But because of his, his mom prayed Mike back home. But we don't know all the answers. We don't know everything. But we know that God gives us an example of praying. So we should be a praying people. We should be praying for your pastor tonight. He's sick. Is he any better, Teresa? He's better, but he's gone through a lot. We should pray for Brother Jeff and pray for Teresa and pray for their family. And we should pray for God's will to be done. That's the way we need to pray. You should pray for one another tonight. I don't know. I haven't been here for a while. I think I was here once about a year ago. And before that, it's probably been a long time. And I don't—I recognize about a handful of people, and everybody else is new. So I don't know what's going on in your lives. I don't know what what your prayer needs are. God knows. Why not talk to Him about it? You got someone in your family that's lost? Wouldn't be a bad idea to get on your knees tonight and ask God not not to uh, change them for your sake or your will be done, but for God to bring glory to himself in saving the lost. 
We need to be praying for each other. We need to be praying for one another. If you see someone that's struggling at the altar, uh, I don't recommend running and, and everybody jumping on them at one time and scaring somebody to death. But I don't think it hurts to ask if you can pray with them. Is it something that we can share and agree together in prayer? And if they say, you know, I, I'm, I'm okay, then leave them alone and let them pray. I'm going to close now and ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And let's just take a few moments tonight and just reflect on the life of Jesus, the priority of prayer in his life. Let's remember what the Old Testament says about bringing revival into a land. You think maybe the United States needs revival? You think maybe there's some lost people within a stone's throw of this church that needs to be saved for revival to break out? I think it's very possible. You think there's people on the other side of the world that need revival and missionaries to be sent? You know, God calls preachers. He also calls missionaries to go to foreign lands and to go to different regions of the world. Saturate it with prayer. You be honest with God, he will be honest with you. And so as we close this service tonight and give this invitation, you respond only as you feel God leading you in your heart. I want to pray with you. And then I'm going to turn the service back over to Brother Sherman. Just be obedient to God. That's all that anybody needs to do is be obedient to God. Don't worry about what other people say or think. Deal with your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Father in heaven, thank you tonight for allowing me to come back to to my home church and Lord to share with these people. Now I know, Father, that Every face that's looking at me tonight, I know that there are things going on in their lives and that uh, we all have prayer needs and issues that we need to deal with. Will you give us space and time tonight, Father, to be obedient to you and to seek your face and to pray. Now, I pray that your will be done and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Sherman.